0: I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, at first it was closed for the weekend.
1: The four middle lanes of Auckland's Harbour Bridge will remain closed over the weekend to repair damage caused when a truck rolled in a gust of wind this morning. Now, who knows?
2: We have to replace this whole member from the top to the bottom, so we have to unbolt it, we have to lift it out, we have to manufacture a, a new piece, we have to come along and put that new piece in, and then once it's in, we bolt it in. Now, of course, we then have to get our load back into it, which means we have to put jacks at the top and bottom, and we have to tension it up to push load back into that member. Uh, so the time that's going to take to obviously take this out, manufacture a new piece, and then put a new piece in is what's driving the length of time.
0: And commuters are feeling the pinch.
3: It was taking two hours to go from North Albany to South Manico, uh on the State Highway 1, so that's crossing over the bridge.
2: Oh, There's quite a lot of heavy congestion on the motorways. It's had quite an impact on Auckland traffic overall.
0: So how do you go about fixing a bridge which is still operating? How can this be prevented from happening in the future? And considering the fact that a freak gust of wind has shut down our biggest city's most important bridge and vital motorway link for a couple of weeks at least, do we need to think about a more viable long-term alternative? On Sunday, the transport agency took some media, including me, right down the middle of the bridge to survey the damage. So I'm looking at the damage at the moment, and it is, um... It's two long, thick bars parallel to one another which are linked every couple of metres by um, other bars that run horizontal and well obviously something's just thudded into it and it's bent out of shape and it's a bit of a sight really a vast piece of metal thumped out of shape by some tremendous force, you can bet it made a bit of a bang when it happened, to the untrained eye it doesn't look broken but under the road level its bolts have been cleanly sheared off So, how did it actually happen? Well,
1: it was a bit of an act of God. After a freak gust of wind toppled a truck this morning, causing substantial damage... Met service meteorologist Lewis Ferris says the wind was gusting at just over 60 kilometres per hour when it suddenly doubled in strength to 120 for just three minutes.
4: The gust that we saw this morning in
2: Harbour Bridge is a very rare occurrence. In the last 10 years, the Harbour Bridge has only recorded comparable speeds just once.
0: So, Friday morning, traffic's going over the bridge as usual. It's a bit windy up there, but nothing out of the ordinary until, out of the blue, a massive gust of wind hits a couple of trucks, sending one of them flying into one of the bridge's key beams. Here's Waka Kotahi's Transport Services General Manager, Brent Glidden.
2: The truck was travelling in this lane. The wind gust came through and hit the truck, and it rolled over and hit this member here, and as you can see, it is bent significantly. Now, normally this piece of steel here carries load in it for the bridge, And what's happened when it's hit, at the base down here, below the surface, it is uh, moved and sheared off from the bridge. It is designed to do that. The reason why we want it to do that is so that it doesn't uh, damage the rest of the bridge. So it did exactly as we would hope, sheared away. So now it is not actually attached to the bridge down there, and this has no load in it at, at all.
0: Now, while the transport agency says the structure functioned as designed, the strut was one of the inner lane's key beams, and it really has to be replaced if the lanes are going to fully reopen. And as we heard, that replacement process is pretty long and pretty arduous.
2: So we have to unbolt it, we have to lift it out, we have to manufacture a, a new piece, we have to come along and put that new piece in, and then once it in, we bolt it in. Now, of course, we then have to get our load back into it, which means we have to put jacks at the top and bottom, and we have to tension it up to push load back into that member.
0: This seems a bit odd. Like, why couldn't they just replicate the existing beam don't they have a replacement lying around or at least a mold or a template
2: every piece on this bridge is slightly different and we can't carry every single piece of steel in a in a shed somewhere that's just unrealistic to have a spare piece so while there is always a there was always a small risk that this, something like this could happen and we plan to try and avoid that when it has happened we're obviously having to manufacture a new piece definitely happen in New Zealand. We're sourcing the steel at the moment in
0: preparation um, and it will be manufactured
2: with one of our local fabricators.
0: Is there an element of design flaw in the idea that one truck crashing into one uh, no, part of the bridge not. can shut it down for several we weeks?
2: you can see here that we've got a part of the structure that is above the deck so it's always vulnerable. We've got protection around it. We had a situation on uh, Friday where we had 60 kilometer an hour winds blowing on the bridge which is absolutely fine. In the space of a couple of minutes, that gusted to 127 kilometres an hour and then died down again. We were hit by an absolute freak gust of wind, which caught a truck as it was right on the top of the bridge. So that's really hard to design for, so that's the situation that's happened here.
0: Maybe here it's time to talk about the bridge, because it really is a vital piece of infrastructure in our biggest city. The Auckland Harbour Bridge was built in 1959. It's the second longest road bridge in the country and the longest in the North Island. Now, back in the day, the quickest way from Auckland to the North Shore was by ferry. By road, it was a 51-kilometre journey via the Northwestern motorway. The idea of a route connecting Auckland to the shore had been mooted since the 1860s, but the cost had been deemed prohibitive until the mid-20th century. And the decision to build the bridge really pumped some life into the northern suburbs. In the 1950s, North Shore was a largely rural area and summer holiday destination. It barely housed 50,000 people. It had few jobs, bleak economic prospects, and a growth rate less than half that of Auckland City. These days, there are more than 22,000 businesses on the shore, contributing more than 6% of the country's GDP. Its population, in that times more than quadrupled to over 200,000 people. And every day, more than 150,000 vehicles make the trip across the bridge, including fleets of double-decker buses. So, pretty important piece of infrastructure. And yesterday morning, lots of News Talk ZB listening commuters weren't happy that a gust of wind had messed up their mornings.
2: Uh, I left home at 6:40 this morning in Beach Haven. Oh yeah. Oniwa Road. I'm still on Oniwa Road trying to get to the bridge. So the motorways might be easing up, but the the main artery is getting to the bridge at Chaka.
0: Oh, no. You left at 6.40?
3: 640.
2: 6.40. Now, what is it, 11 minutes past nine? I'm yeah. still not at the bridge yet.
3: Oh, no.
2: Yeah, I've been up since uh, six on the road. Had to go down from North Shore to Yeah. I got there. My appointment was cancelled. Uh, not informed, so I'm now on my way back. Um, I have just made the bridge, it's going well northbound, but what amazed me is the amount of, you come off this loaded motorway, yeah, and then you go into the suburbs, and there's all roadworks and cones there that slow it up even more.
0: Oh, that's
3: nice.
2: One would think they'd try and get them just to move it open and just open it up for peak hour at least, but that all backs up onto the motorway, and... Um, Congrats to NZTA, they're well planning, they're well looking forward the council with them. What a bunch of walleys.
0: Some less than generous sentiments for the transport agency there, and you can understand the frustration. Nobody likes being caught in traffic for three hours in the morning. But then again, what can you do? A freak event it may have been, but the Auckland Business Chamber's Chief Executive, Michael Barnett, says Auckland's seen too many freak events lately including a supposed one-in-a-hundred-years drought, that could have been avoided with better planning.
3: When you look at the whole context of of Auckland at the moment, you know, we had the had the power when Auckland ran out of power, and then I look at things like the growth of Auckland, 11% per annum, but our housing's been growing at 5%. I look at um, water and... and you know we're sort of running out of water, despite the fact that we knew that demand was increasing, um, and you know we've had congestion forever in Auckland. Lots of words, but just a total lack of commitment, a, a lack of urgency about the whole thing.
0: Barnett spoke to our producer Alexia Russell.
1: What is the key issue here? Is it that there's a reluctance to commit the money, or can nobody agree on a plan? Or are we? Have we been taken aback by the pace of um, you know the population increase?
3: Yeah, I think there's a, a couple of things. I don't think it's a lack of planning. You know, I can go back to the year two thousand when the regional authority in those days, I think it was, got all the mayors together and there was a plan including a second crossing. But there were there were plans completed for the um, you know for the whole of the region. So. I don't think it's a, a lack of planning. It's a lack of converting those plans into into something else. Um, I th- on top of that, I think, you know, a commitment by local government to make it urgent, you know, so this is the priority, and then to be the strongest possible advocates for it going back to central government. Um, I think central government... They are the they are the big holders of the of the control if they don't commit to something then it's it isn't going to happen because it's huge money auckland can't afford it. it's pa- it's a part of our national infrastructure so central government you know we need a champion down there to make this work
1: well I mean you know just send our dents from an auckland m p is not enough obviously. Yeah, i again you look you know you've you've got the pm you've got the um you know Phil
3: triford um you know the Auckland people they know the issues here um, it just seems like we're we're ready to placate the rest of New Zealand uh, but when you have a look at the economic side of what drives New Zealand or what makes New Zealand successful um it's almost
1: deaf to it. Is it a problem? We've got so many tiers of decision-makers here. We've got Auckland Transport, which is kind of a branch of Auckland Council, which can't do these big projects by itself, so it's got to make submissions to the government. Is it too fractured? I think it
3: has been too fractured, but again, I have a look and have a look at our infrastructure commission that we've set up recently. There's enough There's enough structures there to, to make this thing work, but I, I just don't think that there's the commitment and the priority. And I'm sorry, but that is going to be politicians. It's going to be politicians who turn around and pick it up and say, I'm going to be a champion for this.
1: Why doesn't anyone want to champion Auckland, Michael? I'm, you know, obviously apart from you. <laughs> yeah, it's look, it's
3: a, it's a hard message to take outside of Auckland. You know, Like it or not, um, you need a city of scale. In fact, it'd be better if you had more than one. But Auckland is the only city of scale and, you know, it doesn't mean to say that we have to be disliked. I think Auckland has to tell its story better. I think we have to share resources better. Um, I think there's a lot of things that we could improve on. But at the end of the day, if Auckland isn't successful, if the wealth out of Auckland isn't shared across this nation, then we're going to be in trouble.
1: I mean, the argument could be here that uh, a rogue 127-kilometre-an-hour gust of wind um, doesn't come along very often. You know, what is the argument to say, Okay, well, occasionally these things happen and, all right, we don't have a plan B, but, you know, it'll be better when this is fixed?
3: Yeah, and along came the 100-year drought, and we've got water problems – and in, in fact, when you stop and have a look, there was no need for us to have a problem because of the so-called 100-year drought. It was a lack of um, planning and converting into uh, better infrastructure. And so the same thing applies. We've talked since way before 2000 of the second harbour crossing. And when you look at the growth of population in Auckland alone, there's been good reason to do it. And when you have a look at the... Uh, At the bridge and the age of the bridge and the fact that you've got a a couple of clip-ons that are band-aids to the problem, um, all we're really doing is is we're trying to extend its life instead of being strategic and saying, if we're going to have the right infrastructure for moving up and down this region – we need to have a second crossing It needs to have rail, and we need to start it now.
1: Is there something to be said for encouraging people to use public transport more to beefing up ferry services to sort of somehow future proof this from happening again? i
3: I think that all of those things have been a part of the plan, and if you have a look, you know the bus services have increased if if you just look at the north you know south movement of people every day, the bus lanes. Um, I think um, Auckland and the NZTA with transport have have done a good thing. So we've seen an uplift and we've seen an increase in, in, in bums and seats on trains and buses across the region. The growth of the region means it's going to be a blend of all these things. It is going to have people in cars. It is going to be people in public transport. Learn to live with that and make sure we've got that infrastructure for the next fifty to one hundred years.
1: What is the solution you would like to see? I think some
3: some real champions for Auckland has got to be the you know the first step. So we look at this thing strategically and not in a political voting cycle. So that's got to be number one where. We identify what infrastructure Auckland needs over the next 50 to 100 years and start addressing that now. I think having some champions for Auckland has to be essential, but having a government in Wellington that understands this and is prepared to pursue it, even though it is going to be you know, driving the economy and is going to have a, a strong economic focus, we need to have somebody in Wellington who's going to help us make this thing work.
1: Well, this new infrastructure body the government's setting up, the, the sort of that will span political changes, will it help?
3: Um, I, I think the intent is right. I think what we're all waiting to see is whether or not it is able to operate in a way that is outside of government and actually does what's best for New Zealand Um, rather than what the government of the day
1: thinks might be. Is your prediction that that is going to be a good move and will help Auckland, or do you not see it functioning?
3: I'm a a great believer, I'm an optimist as well, but I'm a great believer that what they've set up has a good chance of working.
1: Of
0: course, there's also an argument that the most sustainable long-term plan is, well, to relieve the pressure on the bridge, and that the best way to relieve pressure is fewer cars. Alistair Woodward is a professor of population health at Auckland University's Faculty of Medical and Health Sciences.
4: We haven't thought hard enough about the future. Everything is short-term. You know, it's bung on another lane, it's um, widen the road, it's uh, put in a, a new road. Of course, all that does is to boost the amount of traffic. So it's entirely predictable that if we spend squillions of dollars on a tunnel under the harbour for more roads, that they will fill up rapidly as well and will suffer all the environmental and social costs of living in a car-dominated city that uh, currently bear down on us. The incident just reminds us how vulnerable, how fragile the current transport system is. The COVID experience tells us that we've got a plan for unexpected challenge, that we need systems that are resilient. The Auckland transport system is anything but resilient, as you say, it just takes a strong gust of wind and a high sided truck, and the city is frozen
0: so if the answer is not more roads or variations upon that sort of broader thing what do you think it is because as you say, you know auckland's transport infrastructure at the moment i mean you know we couldn't we we couldn't we simply couldn't just take away the Harbour Bridge, a whole lot of other areas of transport life would have to be massively intensified, surely?
4: Well, you know, if we, let's go back and think about means and ends. Um, roads are not uh, an end in themselves. You know, they're, they're a means to an end. What are we trying to achieve with roads? We're trying to provide access for people to the services and facilities that they, that they need and want. So let's think about other ways of providing access, so that people can get to um, the places that they want to get to, that they need to get to. Um, that means that might mean um, thinking about land use differently. You know, if we got to put more thought into a dispersed metropolitan structure, have we got to put more thought into mixed land use, so that people have. Um, facilities close by, you know, the 20 minute city, that idea that everybody lives in neighborhoods where they can get most things, almost everything within 20 minutes. Um, We need to think about mode of transport. Um, You know, I I think to me the three things that we've got to do um, to make for a sustainable, efficient and healthy um, transport system in Auckland is, is to boost mass transit know, we've got to get safe, attractive, fast, frequent public transport. Um, We've got to take vehicles off the roads. We don't build more roads um, so we can get more vehicles. We've got to reduce the numbers of cars and trucks on Auckland roads. That's the only way we're going to meet our climate targets for one thing. Um, And I think we need better, um, safer, more attractive environments for walking and cycling. Um, that's where the health gain is going to come, by the way, uh, if we can build a city that um, provides better spaces for people to get places under their own power. Mm-hmm. So those are the three things that would be the top of my shopping list. Um, and uh, and I think the, the, um, the incident on the Harbour Bridge is just a reminder of how important it is that we stop heading in the direction that we're currently taking.
0: There's an element of the old Henry Ford saying, you know, if I asked the people what they wanted, um, they would have said a faster horse. And uh, you know, (laughs) (laughs) the idea that you know, if you ask people what they want, maybe they'd say more roads. But maybe at a certain point, uh, either you know, council or or, or government needs to sort of stand up and say, we know better. Which and it takes it'd take a brave bureaucracy to do that.
4: Well, yes, you you say brave. I would just say functional. You you know, because the responsibility that the transport agency has and the council has and so on is to build um, a city and run a city that will be successful. And looking backwards and seeing what happened in the past um, and saying, well, that's necessarily what happens in the future is, you know, such, so obviously an impoverished way of working. We've got to think bigger and better than that.
0: That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform and if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Alex Aylert mcmillan and produced by Alexia Russell and thanks to Brett Glidden, Michael Barnett and Professor Alistair Woodward. Matewa. wa.